0: workshops we provide a meal and if you need child care we got that covered too see bobby after church he'll be in our next step room located out in the lobby attention all families with middle and high school students you're invited to the stew kickoff happening sunday night doors open at 5 p.m also on august 19th we will be tailgating before the county versus collins football game come out and hang out with us as we cheer on our local teams all the men in the house, save this weekend in your phone right now. You won't want to miss our men's conference happening September 29th and 30th. You'll hear more about this huge event in the weeks to come. But here's a preview. Camping, taking some target practice, car show, meats roasted over a fire. Need we say more? Here's the website for early bird registration. Chooseuncommon.com. Let me say it again. Chooseuncommon.com we like to finish up with the greatest news of all, God's changing hearts and lives. Check out the baptisms that's happening over the past few weeks on the hill. Natalie was baptized during our Thursday night service. Josh baptized Austin, Maddie, Sian, and Jamie during our Sunday service. And during Saturday night service, Dane, Samantha, and Trevor were all baptized. Now let's get ready to worship.
1: He woke us up this morning, amen. finish what he started he holds the world in his hand my God delivers on the promise, nothing's greater than him my God will break down every strong
2: and
1: Jericho walls don't stand a chance Nothing's greater than Him Nothing's greater than Him The victory is yours Though the battle ain't over And the glory is yours, amen With hands lifted high I'll be singing through the fire My God is not finished yet Every moment Yes No powers of hell can hold him down My God turns death to resurrection Nothing's greater than him Nothing's greater than him The victory is yours Though the battle ain't over And the glory is yours But hasn't it? I I'll be singing through the fire. My God, it's not finished yet.
3: Welcome to Shelby Christian Church. My name is Dennis Dove. I'm the executive minister here. It's good to have you guys. As a reminder, after I pray, uh, we have communion stations set up around the room. It's double cupped, so you've got the bread and the juice all right there. And then there's offering boxes as well, so you can continue your worship through giving in that way. So I grew up uh, a little bit north of Baltimore, in the suburb of Baltimore, which means I-95 was the main interstate that I I drove on. And if you haven't been up there, it's huge, right? There are points between DC and Baltimore. There's like six lanes each way. And I love driving on it. And my wife Amy hates it, right? But when I get on 95, I kind of summon my, you know, my inner speed racer. And I, I start singing the song, you know, here he comes, here comes speed racer, he's a demon on wheels. And I'm like, all right, I've got 10 spots you know, before the next exit. And I just start weaving in and out the best I can. And, you know, as I've gotten older and had kids and gotten married and stuff like that, you know, I don't play that game as much, or at least I don't sing the song out loud. So my family knows that I'm playing that game. But, but I enjoy doing that. One time, though, on 95, I was driving and it was a little bit congested, so you couldn't weave in and out. But the the lady in front of me You could tell she wasn't really focused on the road because she was getting ready, right? It was the morning commute. So she was like doing her hair and her makeup and like, you know, looking into the rearview mirror, doing something with her eyes. I'm not really sure what was going on there, right? But then all of a sudden, like she must have dropped something because she slams on her brakes, right? So I had to slam on my brakes as hard as I possibly can not to hit her. And it just kind of really teed me off because all because she was doing something she wasn't supposed to do. And I didn't know if I was more mad that I almost got in an accident or the milk from my cereal bowl that I was eating spilled all over me at the time. (laughs) But I was mad. But but losing focus reminded me of a story. In, In Matthew, Jesus was walking on the water, right? You know, and Peter got out of the boat and started walking towards him. And as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus and was focused on doing what he was supposed to do, he was fine. But then... He started looking at the water and the waves and the storm and the things around him, and he started to sink, right? When he took his eyes off Jesus, that's when the bad things started to happen. But Jesus was there to to lift him up. And that happens to all of us too, right? Like I wake up every morning and I just want to like focus on Jesus. And I'm like, all right, today I'm doing everything I can to serve him. But then life happens, Right, you know, and this thing frustrates you and that thing frustrates you or something and, and your eyes get taken off of Jesus. But, but thank goodness for his grace and his love, right? But that is especially what I love about this time right here, right now at communion. Because no matter what else is going on, man, I just can just block that out so I can focus on Jesus. And I can focus on the fact that, that I didn't deserve his love. I don't deserve his grace but he came down and died for me because of that love. So as you get to this time, as you take the bread and you take the juice, think of him. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to come to your house and worship you. You are awesome. You are holy. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for standing down to die on the cross. For me, for all these guys, for everyone, Lord. That Even though we don't deserve it, you love this enough to do it. Help us to honor you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: wasn't good enough to just say thanks. It wasn't good enough. That's the way it should be when we come into the house of the Lord, when we worship our God. There's not words that we can say enough how thankful we are, but we have gratitude in our heart. Amen. Worship with us. No, it's not testimony this morning that he's never felt you? Have you reached out to him and saw him and he came through? He lifted you up? Or maybe he came into that pit where you were? Oh, I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. I sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. I sought the Lord and he heard. And he Never fail you come through you're there in our darkest time in our greatest need and your timing is perfect lord we praise you it's in jesus name we all pray everyone said amen amen you can be seated
2: what is it being sure of our hope Convinced of what we can't see. By faith, we understand the world was set in order at God's command. By faith, Abel offered God a greater sacrifice than Cain. And for his faith, God commended him as righteous. By faith, Noah trusted God and constructed an ark for the deliverance of his family. By faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, believing God would still fulfill his promises. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy sin's fleeting pleasure. By faith, God's chosen nation crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and praised him as it swallowed up the Egyptians. By faith, Rahab the prostitute escaped destruction, because she welcomed the spies in peace. Time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, David, and the prophets. By faith, they administered justice, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire. But others were imprisoned, murdered, and wandered in deserts, mountains, and openings in the earth. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. So get rid of every weight, of every sin, and run. Run with endurance the race set before us. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is the champion and guide of our faith. For promised joy, he endured the cross, thought nothing of its shame. And having risen again, has been handed his deserved glory at the right hand of the throne of God.
4: Faith. Sometimes we sing a song written by a guy named Phil Wickham that says these words. We sing these words. There will be a day when all will bow before him. There will be a day when death will be no more, standing face to face with he who died and rose again. Holy, holy, add a few, holy, 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 holies is the Lord. But what do we do until that day what do we do in the waiting apparently this message is for Dennis about waiting on the interstate what do we do in our waiting what do we do when we don't know I I hope you understand I hope you understand like and caught forget the instruments today Did you really catch what we sang? Did you really catch what we sang? I called the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. That's what we do in the waiting. That's what we do in the waiting. There is a chapter in the Bible that is very familiar. A lot of you are going to already know it. A portion of it is read most often at weddings, but it speaks huge truth To this idea of waiting. It's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul starts off writing with these words. If I could speak with all the languages on earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. Charlie Brown's teacher why wow, why, why, why that you get it if I had the gift of prophecy And if I understood all of God's secrets and possessed all knowledge first of all if we understood that right now We would freak out But if we understood all God's secrets and possessed all knowledge And if I had such a faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others. I would be nothing If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about that. But if I didn't love others, I have gained nothing. Here's the words a lot of people know. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. Nobody does that. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopeful endures through every circumstance. Verse 8 says prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge, they'll become useless. But love will last forever. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things, then he said, remain. Three things, he says, will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. For the next three weeks, Jason and Bobby and I are going to look at those three things that remain, faith, hope, and love. Now, I've read 1 Corinthians 13 literally hundreds of times, and something struck me this week as I really started digging into this that... Kind of gave me that 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 Arsenial Hall moment, you know what I'm talking about? Things that make you go, hmm. Like I was like I've I've seen this, but and here's what it was. Paul spent this whole chapter Or so I thought, focusing on love. I mean, in fact, it's known as the love chapter in the Bible. A lot of you guys, if I hadn't said 1 Corinthians 13, a lot of you guys in here, if I had said, open your Bibles, your your pads, whatever, to the love chapter, you would have known where to go. It's that well known because of weddings and other things. So how in the middle of this love chapter does he come to the end of it and finish with Faith and hope. Where do they suddenly appear from? i want to take you back to verses 9 and following. Go back up to verse 9. It says our knowledge is, check this out, partial. And it's incomplete. And then he says, even if the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless how much time are we spending on things right now that we think are significant that are only partial and in the end they really don't matter anything at all nothing nothing then he goes on look at what he says next when i was a child i spoke and thought and reasoned as a child but when i grew up i put away childish things now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then we will see everything with perfect clarity and all I now know is partial and it's incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. He, he's talking about this, this period, this season. Yeah, he talks about love and the, the love is patient, love is kind. If you, you know, do all these great things and don't have love, you're nothing. All and, but then in that those verses right there, in between that, he gets in like, yeah, whatever you're trying to do right now, Whatever you're stressing over, whatever you're freaking out over, whatever you're investing a whole lot of time in, a lot of it is partial and incomplete and only for a season. You live to be 90 years old. That's a long time. It's a spit in the wind in eternity. It's nothing. It's nothing. So why do we spend so much time investing? And what are we doing in the waiting? You know, he says, you've got to have faith. have got to have hope, you've got to have a look. Faith, see, is the foundation of our relationship with God. Faith is the foundation of our relationship with God. Hope, hope is the expectation that God will fulfill his promises. And love is the greatest commandment and the most important thing we do. Next week, Jason's going to talk to you about hope. The next week, final week, Bobby's going to talk to us about faith. But today, uh, excuse me, about love. But today, we want to focus on faith. And here's what the Bible tells us about faith. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for, but it is the evidence of, of things we cannot see, criminally, investigations going on. If you can't see something, if you just assume something, it's what we refer to as circumstantial evidence. There is not something that we can see and point to, but God says in this idea of our eternity and where we're going, our faith, our faith is that evidence of the things we can't see that we just got to trust. And we're going to talk about that. The Bible's full of great faith stories. This Hebrews 11 one, it's the first verse in another chapter that has kind of its own title or name. If 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It goes later on in the chapter and the writer lists just all kinds of great, great, great heroes of faith and things they did. We don't have time to go through all those or to read the whole thing. But let me just point out some great faith stories that are in the Bible. In the Bible, we can read about the faith of Noah. Faith of Noah—it's it, virtually the second big story in the Bible. The whole Adam and Eve thing, and then we then we find ourselves with Noah. And Noah is this guy that's just kind of minding his own business, living his life, raising his three sons who are now married, and they've got wives and probably grandkids. And he just—and God says, Noah, I want you to build. A boat. Stay with me. There's that moment that Noah had to say, A what? A what? Yeah, there were no boats. (laughs) What's a boat? A boat's something that flows on a big body of water. Noah's kind of like in this desert region, going, Why do we need a boat? And then God tells him, because it's going to rain. Okay. What's that? When, when God told Noah to build a boat that had never been built before, that there weren't any of them, that was going to float on water that was going to come from rain, that had never, ever, 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 ever fallen. Because up till that time in history, the, 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 what water was needed on a daily basis came from the dew overnight. It had never rained. Get your mind around this. God is supernaturally speaking to Noah about building something that's never been built to float on something that's going to come from something that has never fallen. Talk about the evidence of things unseen. And Noah starts building. It doesn't take a week. Noah's working on this puppy 100 years. There's other people live around there though, not just he and his family, his boys and their wives. There's other people around. And Noah, what are you doing? Building a boat. A what? Same discussion Noah had with God. Why are you building a boat? It's going to rain. It's going to what? It's going to rain. It's going to cover the whole earth. We're going to need a boat to float. You're welcome to come inside of my boat. Noah, you're an idiot. That's what everybody thinks. And so all this time, not only the patience and the endurance of going through all this time of building, it's going through all this time of ridicule. And everybody thinking, this cat has lost his mind. I wonder what they thought when that first raindrop hit their head. I wonder what they thought then. Huh, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. Rain. Rain. Now, Noah wasn't perfect. Noah wasn't perfect before the ark. And Noah sure wasn't perfect after the ark. In fact, Noah was the first person we read about in the Bible that got drunk. He got so drunk, they, his, his kids found him naked. But in this season, in this moment, in this time, in this effort, Noah was faithful to what God called him to do in the waiting. Lots of waiting. Then you read on in the Bible and you come to this guy named Moses. Moses is, uh, you know, his, his story is just incredible. It goes on and on and on. But as Noah gets to be a, you know, a young strapping teenage, early 20s guy, his people are in bondage and one day he sees an Egyptian soldier beating the snot out of one of his countrymen and Moses decides to step in and he beats the soldier so bad that it kills him. So Moses is a murderer. And That's how he starts his adult life. And a lot of other things happen. But there's this moment that God speaks to him and says, All right, Moses, it's time for my people, your people, to get out of slavery. It's been 400 years of slavery. Talk about waiting. Talk about in the meantime, in the meanwhile. And God says, Moses, it's time. And I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him it's time for him to let our people go. What? No, really, probably what Moses said was more like, whoa, 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 whoa what? And God said, I want you to go. And, and then Moses had to say, but, 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 but I don't speak clearly. The Bible is very clear. It talks about Moses had a speech impediment and couldn't talk. And God's like, every time Moses comes, okay, I'll send Aaron with you. Brother Aaron will go with you. He talks clear. So you like be the point man. And if you get getting stuck, Aaron will finish your sentences for you. And so they go and this guy who was a murderer early in his adult years goes to the leader and says it's time for you to let us go and he leads them out. It's a faith story. You go a little bit farther in the Bible and you read about a young guy who was committed to his prayer life. A, A guy named Daniel... A young adult man who was committed to his prayer life, and he would do it on a daily basis, on a regular basis, certain times every day. But for whatever reason, he would go and, to a window in the place where he stayed, and he would get on his knees, and he would pray so he could see outside. But the problem was people could see inside. And there were some leaders at the time that didn't think anybody should pray to anybody except this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel got a warning. Hey. Bro, you need, to, you need to quit that. If you're going to pray, you come here to the, and you pray to Nebuchadnezzar. I see Daniel like, no, I don't think so. so he kept on praying. Kept on praying. Finally, they come to Daniel and they say, okay, here's the deal, son. You don't quit this. We're going to come and get you and we're going to take you and we're going to throw you into this big pit full of hungry lions. And that's going to be the end of you. Daniel said, you do you. I'm doing me. And he Kept praying. Kept praying. And sure enough, they do. They come and they get him and they throw him into this lion's den. Boom. It's the bottom of the pit. There's Leo and Furry and whatever else you name the lions. And there he is. Guess what he did? He prayed. He kept praying. Next morning, they, they said, well, we better go get the bones out because, you know, they've... His finger looking good and they're done. And they get in, and the guards go and they come back to, You're not gonna believe this. Daniel's sitting down there petting the lions. He's named them all. They're his pets now. He's okay. It's a faith story. Daniel had three friends, their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They came along after that, and King Nebuchadnezzar is riding on his ego trip. And some friends convinced Nebuchadnezzar, you need to build a statue of yourself. Nebuchadnezzar, that's a good idea. And they begin the construction of a statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. The statue was 90 feet tall, made of pure gold. Now, you've got to get a point of reference. This ceiling in here is maybe half that. If you go past the lights, past the flags, all the way up to where it's like like half of that. Straight up, gold. That's a big stinking statue. (laughs) And then the day of the unveiling, everybody's assembled out uh, in this huge area where they've got the statue and it's like a giant worship event of King Nebuchadnezzar and their people are told when we unveil the statue, we we are all gonna kneel and pray to the statue, honor the statue, worship the statue. They pull the cord, the veil comes down, they look on the back row and there's these three dudes standing like this. They're young guys. We ain't bowing. Kind of like, you know, worship today. Some they are like, this is how they worship. I don't know. That's I digress. Um, but they're not bowing. Hey, guys, you got to get down. No, we ain't bowing to nobody but our God, the God, the only God, Jehovah. That's who we bow to. If you don't bow down, we're going to throw you. Have you ever been up in the northeast where they have like those iron mills and the huge kilns that are like enormous furnaces. I mean, it, it, it's like a fire pit on steroids, all right? And, and there's a big door where they, they heat it. And, and the Bible tells us that they said, we're going to throw you in there. They said, we don't care, whatever. And they come and they take them. And, and if you don't read the Bible closely, you'll miss some of the really intricate details. The Bible says that when they opened the, the door and they threw them into that fiery furnace, that the soldiers that threw them in died because of the extreme heat that was coming out to them. So they throw them in there, these three young guys, they won't bow down, they're in a fiery furnace. Next morning, same kind of like Daniel, they go check on them and they come back to King Nebuchadnezzar, you're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. There's not three guys in there anymore. Now there's four. And they're just walking around talking and praising God. You know who that fourth one was? It was really the first incarnation of God in any kind of physical form that we have record of. Most scholars think it was really the first representation of Jesus on planet earth, standing in the fire. We just sang about it. How many times have you been in a fire and you didn't know how you were going to get out of the fire, and, and figuratively speaking, and suddenly you just knew that there was a presence with you that you couldn't explain, you couldn't understand. It was the evidence of things unseen. It's faith. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go, we're fine. Then you get Jesus walking planet Earth. And there's this blind dude. There's this blind dude. He's been blind from birth. Everybody knows it. They've seen him stumbling around. They've helped him around. He comes and he asks, and Jesus heals him. And suddenly everybody knows. There's, there's no debate. There's no debate in that moment. This guy's not staggering anymore. It's obvious that he can see what happened. It's the evidence of things unseen. And for this guy, now he can see. Faith stories are all through the Bible. But I want to give you two more. I want to take you to the book of Mark. So if you've got your Bibles, your tablets, whatever, go to Mark chapter 5. And I want to show you two stories that are right there in chapter 5. The first story starts in verse 21. It's about this guy named Jairus. Well, it's actually about his daughter. But Jairus is a leader in the synagogue. He's a well-respected religious leader in that setting and in that time. And he comes to Jesus. And as you start looking in verse 21, he says, Master, teacher, my daughter's sick. Would you come and heal her? Would you come and heal her? Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Now, there's all kinds of questions about people still weren't really believing in Jesus, especially leaders in the synagogue. But listen to me, parents, you can relate to this. If your kid's sick, if your kid's sick, what are you willing to do to make them well? Anything, right? And Jairus is at that point that It's still evidence of things unseen, but he's hearing these stories about Jesus, and he goes to Jesus, and he's like, would you come? Would you come and just lay your hands on my daughter and heal her? And then there's this interlude. Look at verse 25. Right in the middle of all that, right in the middle of all that, this, and they're in a crowd of people, big crowd like this or more, and some lady grabs Jesus' robe This lady has been bleeding continuously for 12 years. When you read all the text there, it says that she had spent all of her money on every doctor that was known to mankind in that region. She had spent it, and not only had it not worked, she had gotten worse. She is at her last straw. She is desperate, and she's heard that this guy, Jesus, has been healing people, and he's going to be in the town square. He's going to be here, and she's like, I'm just going to go, And she, but I am pitiful. I'm pitiful if I... I don't need to talk. If I could just touch his robe, maybe I'd be healed. And so the Bible tells us that's exactly what she did. As Jesus was walking through, she touched his robe, but Jesus being God in flesh immediately knew something. He felt the healing power leave his body. Something happened and he stops in this crowd of people and says, who touched me? Now, it's really cool, what have you ever been in a big crowd like that? Maybe you've been to a concert, uh, and and like you were down front in the mosh pit. Oh no, I guess we don't, we don't, never mind. I digress again. Um, Maybe it's a ball game where you like actually really really lose your mind about that, but you're in a crowd, and, and there's people all around, and somebody bumps into you or whatever like that. Is there ever a part of you going, who did that? No, there's an instinct in you that says, who knows who did that? There's thousands of people here. Who knows who touched me or bumped into my elbow or whatever? And so the disciples, it's really cool in the Bible. The disciples thought Jesus was crazy. They said, what are you talking about who touched you? There's, look at all these people here. How are we going to know? The disciples thought he was crazy, but the woman knew exactly what he was talking about. And so in that moment, in that moment where all she had wanted to do was remain anonymous, to remain unnoticed, she was embarrassed by her situation, and she was desperate. Listen to this. Write this down. Sometimes our faith is born in moments of desperation, and so she touches Jesus. She's healed immediately. And look what Jesus says in verse 34. So cool. Daughter, I healed you. No, no, look what he said. Daughter, your, what's that word? Okay, this is audience participation. Okay, what's that word? Faith. Okay, daughter, your faith. faith has made you well. Go in peace Your suffering is over. What are you going through right now? What are you going through right now that you would probably write a check for everything that's in the balance column if you could immediately know that whatever it is you're going through, the suffering is over? 12 years. That's waiting. That's waiting. Jesus said, your suffering is over. Now let's get back to the first story, all right? Because there's part two of the Jairus story. While this is going on with this woman and everything, there is a servant of Jairus that comes to the scene and finds him and says, Jairus, I'm, I'm sorry to let you know, but your daughter is dead. There's no need to trouble the teacher now. Jesus perks up. What? Look what Jesus says then. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just have. Okay, some of you are getting it, but you're, some are slower on the uptake. Like, okay, can we just be point blank? Every time Dave points to faith, we say faith, okay? All right, we're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, suddenly, suddenly in this unknown moment, Jesus, once again, second time in a matter of minutes, introduces the idea of faith that can make a difference. Woman, your faith has healed you. Jairus, just have faith. Everything is going to be okay. The fear of the unknown gets us every time. And suddenly Jairus has found himself stuck in the middle of fear of his daughter dying and the fact of Jesus' healing power. So we find ourselves there. We're stuck in the middle between these issues that are going on. How do we walk by faith? Let me leave you with this. The Bible in the New Testament and Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 5 verse 7 that we walk by faith and not by sight. But what exactly does walking by faith look like? The mere phrase, though, denotes some activity or movement, doesn't it? We're walking by faith. We're not sitting in faith. We're moving in faith. And and it it kind of denotes that we are embarking on some kind of journey. And along this voyage, you have to do more than just believe. You're going to have to be mindful of your thoughts, of your words, and of your actions let me give you these three fundamental steps of how we walk by faith the first one is this guard your thoughts guard your thoughts see our thoughts determine how we react to a situation good or bad we see a situation we think we, we see a situation we think about it and it's like man there's balloons and they're like okay our thoughts say this is a good thing this is a good thing you know, we come up on a situation on the highway and we see a bunch of blue and red lights up ahead, and what are our thoughts? Oh no, I'm going to have to wait. Let I me mean, be honest with yourself. Nine times out of ten, your first thought is not, oh no, I hope they're okay. Your first thought is, how much time is this going to cost me? It's probably something we need to wrestle with too but we see that in our thoughts based on what we consider our thoughts tell us something and so we got to be able to think about our thoughts and and so in the book of Philippians in chapter 4 Paul tells us that the things that we think about affect how we feel and so he tells us what we need to think about look what he says here he says fix your thoughts on what is true on what is honorable on what is right on what is pure, on what is lovely, and what is admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Our thoughts are real. And if we don't control our thoughts, if we don't bring our thoughts under submission, they can take us some really bad places that will block the faith episodes in our life. Many times when we're dealing with difficult situations, we're bombarded by these negative thoughts. These thoughts include worry and doubt and tormenting fears our biggest battles are most often fought in our minds unless you guard your mind you'll continue to walk in defeat and hopelessness so guard your minds the second thing is mind your mouth mind your mouth sounds like something your grandma would say to you right hey boy mind your mouth you know what are you saying It's easy to say I'm trusting God. It's easy to say I'm waiting on him. But while you're in the waiting, what are you saying otherwise? Are you speaking faith about the situation? Are you giving voice to doubt and fear? I know God's got this. Or is it more like, do you say things like, I just don't know what I'm going to do. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I sure hope things will work out. I sure hope things will work out. For how long? For how long? Let's go back. Even if we live 90 years of perfect health, it's a spit in the wind. It's a spit in the wind of eternity. How long do you want things to work out for? I don't know what I'm gonna do. Okay, yeah, you've only gotta do it for a few more decades maybe. But then there's an eternity. And so what we say that comes from what we think kind of leads us to where we really are going. One of the things that breaks my heart, oh, it breaks my heart. I've told somebody this before. It breaks my heart when I go to the funeral home or go to the nursing home or go to the hospital For, for an elderly person, somebody that's on their last legs. My aunt just passed away at 97. She was baptized when she was seven. How many people are ever gonna live on planet Earth as a baptized believer for 90 years? And in the last months, She would just say things like, I want to go home, but I hope I get to go to heaven. Stop it! That's not a hope, that's an assurance. That's an assurance if we are believers and if we act like we say what we believe. Act like we believe what we say we believe. Your words demonstrate your belief that God is working on your behalf. So we guard our thoughts, we mind our mouth, focus on our actions. What are we doing? What are we doing? The Word of God tells us that faith without works is dead. That means that we we can't just simply pray and delegate our work to God and go on doing us. He's not going to come down from His throne and do what He has given you the power and the ability to do. Because, yeah, there's some things that... There are some things that are going on that you're praying for God to fix that it would take you about 15 minutes to fix. But we going to pray about that. Now, there's some things that you couldn't fix in your lifetime. That's what we need to pray about. We need to do what we can do and trust God with the rest. If you're... Pr- Here are practical examples, and we're almost done. If you want a new house, you don't like your house for whatever reason, you're praying for a new home, have you actually started looking for a new home? I don't know, maybe talk to a realtor? Uh, maybe do the best you can to fix up yours so that you can sell it? For the, Do you have a budget? Or are you sitting on the couch going, I really wish we had a different place to live? See the difference? See the difference? Or, or, or maybe, maybe you, you really hate your job. You really don't like your job. And you want a more desirable job. Have you updated your resume lately? Do you have a resume? Do you know what a resume is? What are you doing that you could be doing in the meanwhile while God's helping find you a job? And then here's the best thing. When you get that job, don't forget who you asked to help you get that job. And don't forget to tell him thanks. See, walking by faith means we take action. Walking requires uh, uh, setting a plan in place, having a desired plan in place, and doing the work that is required. It's all about faith. And those moments of faith are those moments that we have to act like we believe what we say we believe. The hard part, the hard part of this equation, go to the next one. The hard part of the is this see what it says the fear of the unknown the fear of the unknown you guys know i married way over my head you all know that those of you been around but let me tell you something about her she will not go to a movie that she doesn't know the ending to she won't read a book that she doesn't know the ending to because we've gotten burned a few times early in our marriage on our dates that we like You know, if you've been to one of those movies You're at this movie, it's an athletic movie the, the, Like the underdog team, it looks like they're going to come back They're going to win the state championship It's going to be this great story And then the other team kicks a field goal to win the game Or hits a shot and they lose And you're like, what? That's not supposed to end that way Or it's a love story and everything's going on and They're, they're, they're going to live happily ever after until in the very last scene they pull the plank out and the dude hangs and dies what how's that happen so we've gotten burned on that so Kim will not go to anything that she doesn't know the end of it she's I am being everything like hey you guys need to go see this movie let me let me check okay nope we ain't going we ain't going all right our our family knows that some of our friends know that people that go to movies like they'll text me do not take Kim to this movie like they know they know wouldn't it be great if there was an IMB for life? Whatever the junk you're going through right now, wouldn't it be great if you could get out your phone and go to the IMB app and look at, oh, this is going to be okay, we're good. Now, the other side of it is you might go, oh, no. <laughs> I don't but the fear of the unknown is paralyzing. You know, you got people saying, well, death doesn't scare me. I'm just not a fan of dying. Or, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Like, do you have faith or not? Do you have faith or not? So in the fear of the unknown, what we've got to be able to get to is understanding that heaven is real... And an honest evaluation of the Bible will tell you the, the truth that God is real and that he loves you. And so you've got this gap. You've got this fear of the unknown, and you've got the fact of God's love. And there's this huge chasm between the two. What are we going to do with that chasm? Here's where it comes. You guys ready? You guys ready? You better be ready. You better be I've like I've like prelude hinted. You better be ready, okay? When you find yourself in this gap, in this chasm between the fear of the unknown and the facts of God's love, Faith, faith is what fills the gap between the fear of the unknown and the fact of how much God loves you. We gotta let faith stand in the gap. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for providing hope. Thank you for providing security. Thank you for providing answers. Help us to have faith uh, in the things that we can't see to trust that you are the God that created us because you love us, that you are able to take care of our situations, whatever they might be. And God, for that to really be able to happen today, for that to really be able to happen in people's lives today, God, we need we need people, we don't need anybody to leave here today without the assurance that Jesus Christ is their personal Lord and Savior, and that no matter what junk is going on on earth, that you got this, because Jesus died on a cross to take us across that chasm between our fear and the fact of your love for us and so God I pray right now that as we worship as we sing about how able you are that if there's anyone in this room that needs to make Jesus Lord and Savior of their life that this is the day that they'll make that decision and we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus amen here's the deal you guys stand up with me maybe all you need right now to do is pray maybe you just need some time to pray right over here at the foot of the cross there's some benches you can go there and kneel and pray nobody will bother you Maybe you need to talk to somebody about that. And so Jason and some of our guys are over here by the wall, and they'll be glad to talk to you about it. I'm going to be right down here. If you need to talk about making Jesus the Lord of your life, I'd love to meet you down here while we worship.
1: Far above
4: things, then we'll get out of here. Hey, guys, men, men, it's time to be uncommon. Ordinary ain't working. And so it's time to be uncommon. Some of you guys have heard, seen, Jordan talked about it in the preview, in the announcements. There's stuff coming out in the news. Some of you guys have already gotten text message from me. Just really strongly encouraging you to sign up for uncommon. If you've already gotten one of those text message from me, I'm going to ask you a favor. Would you send it to every man in your contact list? Just forward it. Just forward it and get guys. Stu and I drove, as soon as we got done with worship Thursday night, we got in the truck. We drove all the way to Illinois. We went to the uh, seven-hour drive. We went to the Uncommon Conference at the main campus, the main hub. There, and we were with 900 men for a day and a half. And there ain't nothing like, ladies, we love you. You're, you've been, let, let's be real for a minute. Some of you ladies been leading for far too long because the dude ain't doing it. So we love you. But there ain't nothing like getting a room full of men, 900 men in a room doing worship. You talk about some sound. All right. So it's coming here September 29th and 30th. Here's the deal. Some of you guys that are really like, let's, yeah, let's go. Let's go. Tonight at five o'clock, we're having another planning meeting out in the lobby. And I'd love to have any of you men here. All right. And we're going to plan this weekend out. It's going to be spectacular and awesome. The other thing is coming up. The other thing is coming up. And you can get on our website. You can get on our Facebook thing. There's all kinds of links. We can get you signed up for Uncommon. Do it before August 27th. And there's still the early registration rate. Okay. Then this Tuesday night is Pathways for this month. If you've been here for a while and you've been thinking about, okay, I'm ready, I want, to, I want to become a member, or if you've already done that and you're like, I need to get involved in a life group, I need to get involved in serving, this Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, out in the Common Grounds, Chick-fil-A dinner, free childcare, uh, and Pathways for August, If you haven't signed up and can't figure out how to sign up, Bobby will be in the next step room as soon as he can navigate the crowd from here to there. And he will gladly get you hooked up so that you can be here Tuesday night. All right, let's get out of here. Go love God, love people, watch him change the world. We'll see you guys.